So I want to do something this morning. I want to um, pray a little differently as uh, we prepare our hearts and our minds and our souls for um, the Lord to speak and to move and to conform us to the image of Christ. Will you pray with me? I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King. In what you hear, may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Amen. Let's be seated. When I first uh, began ordained ministry, I used to often um, like to sing before I preached as an act of worship and prayer. And um, I moved to a, uh, a church, and it was a new place for me, and I thought, well, um, this Sunday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and I'm going to sing just as an act of worship, just with a childlike faith before the Father, just as a, as a humble way to, to praise Him. And after that worship gathering, someone came up to me and said, Matt, you know, you don't really have that great of a voice and you shouldn't sing from the pulpit. And it really hurt because um, I wasn't doing it because I have a good voice. I know I don't have a good voice. I was just doing it as a humble act of worship before the Father. So um, a couple of months ago, I shared that story with the pastoral team and Lucy Rogers approached me and she said, Matt, God wants to heal that wound in your heart. And she prayed over me and she told me she looked forward to the time when I would um, sing that now that we moved here to Grace Northridge. So there it is. Um, <laughs> thank you, Lord. So this morning we're going to um, continue in the story of God with the story of David. And one of the things that we're going to see in the life of David is what a beautiful heart that he has before the Lord. Everything that he does and every circumstance that he is in, whether it's positive or negative, his heart for the Lord just is filled with joy and with reverence. And so as we look into this story, I, I pray for, beginning with me, but for all of us, that we would see um, the heart that God is developing not only in David, but the heart that God desires to develop in each one of us as followers <laughs> of Jesus with grace, a heart filled with joy and reverence. The story of God continues like this. Episode one, what matters is the heart. One day the Lord says to his faithful prophet Samuel, take a calf to Bethlehem and say you're coming to sacrifice to the Lord and ask Jesse and his sons to join you and I'll show you which one to anoint as the new king. So Samuel does as the Lord says, and upon arrival, he's impressed with all of Jesse's sons. But God keeps telling him, no, don't look at the outward appearance. What matters is the heart. This is not the one. So 
They'll line up one of the sons of Jesse, and the Lord says, this is not the one. Line up another son of Jesse, nope, this is not the one. And finally, Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse replies, well, yes, actually, I have one more son. He's off in the fields tending the sheep. You want me to get him? Yes. So he sends for David. And when David walks into the room, God says to Samuel, that's the one. That's him. Get up and go anoint him as the new king. And so Samuel does as the Lord commands him. And when Samuel prays over him and anoints him as the new king, the spirit leaves Saul and fills David, it says, in a mighty way. Episode 2. A heart filled with faith. Soon thereafter, the Philistines invade Israel again, and a large Philistine named Goliath, who's nine feet nine inches tall, is taunting the Israelites. And day after day, he's yelling at them. And finally, he says, Why are you preparing for battle? Let's just let two of us settle this. Send one of your men, and I'll send one of my men. And if you kill our man, we'll be your slaves. But if I kill your man, you'll be our slaves. It's the taunt of all taunts. It's the big and mighty challenge. And in the Israel camp, it's crickets. No one wants to accept Goliath's challenge. And David is absolutely shocked by that. He can't can't believe it. And so he asks, who does this ungodly Philistine think he is? He's defying the army of the living God. And then David says, I'll fight him. Saul's um, impressed by this. And so he says, go, and may the Lord be with you. And then I think maybe thinking twice, Saul gives his armor to David. And David, um, out of respect, puts on the personal armor of King Saul, but he can't walk in it because it's too heavy. And so he says to the king, I can't wear your armor. It's just going to hold me back. And instead, you remember what David does. He goes down to the river and he selects five smooth stones for his slingshot. And then he comes to the battlefield and he approaches Goliath on the field of battle and he's shouting at Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. You, sir, have insulted God. The battle belongs to him and he's given you to me. And that stone hits Goliath right between the eyes. And Goliath falls face forward to the ground. And David goes over and he stands above the whimpering body of Goliath, takes Goliath's sword, kills him, and cuts off his head. 
When the Philistines see that, they're freaked out, and they turn and run in terror. Episode 3. A heart filled with joyful reverence. In 1 Samuel 4 and 5, the Philistines defeat Israel yet again. But this time, they steal the Ark of the Covenant. And for 20 years, the Ark of the Covenant remains outside of Jerusalem. And it's a very somber and very sober 20 years for Israel. God's people miss the presence of God in their midst. They're unable to worship God. They're unable to hear God speak. They're without God and without God's direction. And it finally becomes absolutely intolerable for them. And so one day the Israelites rededicate themselves to God. They totally yield and surrender completely to God and to his purposes. And when they do, a revival just starts sweeping across the nation. And they get their strategy together. They pray. They attack the Philistines. God gives them the victory once again. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And as they do, this grand worship event takes place. There's a a festive procession, a procession of praise and thanksgiving with loud music and lots of singing. There's thanksgiving and gratitude for the Lord God in their midst. Once again, God is their God and they are his people. And this time they do everything just as God instructs them not only joyfully but reverently in how they carry the ark on the poles, how they line up, how they process with the ark, and then they acknowledge God's holiness and their sinfulness by making a sacrifice for the atonement of their sins, putting that blood on the mercy seat. And on this great day in the history of of Israel. God is pleased with their worship because it is from the heart and filled with both joy and reverence. David is so consumed with joyful reverence for God that he dances before the Lord with all of his might. You know, so let's dance. Probably better than that. David's not concerned with his status because before the Lord, he and all of the Israelites are equal. He's not concerned with what he's wearing because God's looking at what? The heart. And he's not concerned about what other people are thinking about his reputation before man. He only cares about his reputation with God. And what we see in this moment is that David exemplifies worship that pleases God, worship that's joyful and reverent, worship that's free and unashamed. Well, sadly, not everybody appreciates that. And as the ark of the Lord enters the city of David, David's wife, Michal, watches from a window. And when she sees David leaping and dancing before the Lord, it says that she despises him in her heart. 
When David returns home to bless his household, Mikhail comes out to meet him and says um, in a very sarcastic and condemning way, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. And yet even in the midst of being mocked and criticized and shamed by his wife, David once again reveals his heart for the Lord and he says to her, Baby, I'm going to become even more undignified than this because I love God. And as a result of Mikhail's arrogance and resentment to her husband's joyful and reverent worship of the Lord, the story goes on to say that she becomes barren and has no more children because restricting worship restricts life. There's another episode, it's episode four. It's around that part of David's life where he is broken and contrite before the Lord that we find um, him writing Psalm 51. And Brian's going to share that episode with us this Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday, it'll be the beginning of Lent. Um, And Brian's going to pick up on the story there this Wednesday. We'll meet here at noon. Really want to encourage everybody to come and participate and that beginning of the new season of Lent. But that's the story of David. And I think it's a really important story for us as we continue to follow Jesus with grace. And as we come out of the season of Epiphany, and we begin to move into the season of Lent, I think what David does for us is he models for us what our lives individually, what our lives in our homes as families, what our lives in our life groups, and what our lives together here at our weekly worship gathering can look like as a people who worship the Father in spirit and in truth with a joyful reverence that comes from the heart. There's really good news in this story. And I think the good news really begins with a question. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is so often referred to and why Jesus so often refers to himself as the son of David? Kind of interesting, isn't it? That title is given to Jesus. That title is used by Jesus um, by himself because it fulfills the prophecy that would come through David and, and, and come in the person of the Messiah. Second Samuel 7 says this, The Lord says to David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Do you hear the promise of God that the Messiah is going to come through the family of David? It's why in Matthew 1 we see the genealogy of Jesus and the proof um, not only of his humanity, but that he was a direct descendant of Abraham and Joseph through, sorry, Abraham and David through Joseph, who was Jesus' legal father. 
It's why the genealogy in Luke 3 traces Jesus' lineage to David through his mother, Mary. Because in his humanity, Messiah is going to come and he's going to be connected to God's story. And it's through this person, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, that God is going to fulfill the promise that he makes through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Fully God and fully man. Truly God and truly man. Filled with all truth and all grace. Jesus steps out of heaven and into the center of our lives with the heart of the Father. With the Father's love, God sends Jesus with his love that we might know the love of God, that we might experience the love of God, that we might see Jesus and know the Father's love for us. And everywhere he is going, Jesus is communicating the heart of the Father for us. Whether he's taking someone that is ostracized and disconnected and feels like they don't belong and loving them and welcoming them into a relationship and into community or whether he's going somewhere to lay hands on someone that's broken or sick or struggling or dead and giving them healing and life. Jesus fully embodies the love of God and shares that love Everywhere he goes with whoever he's with, do you know that you have inherited that love in Christ? And he takes that heart that he created us with in the beginning, that heart that was once alive to God, that heart that was created in the image of God, that heart which shone with the glory of God but got corrupted by sin and tainted by the brokenness and rebellion that is a result of the fall that we live in and the, and the fall that we have become. And he takes that broken, tainted, corrupt, dead, unresponsive, rebellious heart and he takes that heart with him to the cross. And your heart and my heart was crucified with Christ and buried with him in his death and broken, and shattered, and removed from us. And yet with Christ, we have been raised with him in his resurrection, and he has given us a new heart. The old is gone, the new has come. He's given us a new heart. He's put a new spirit within us. And the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives within us. And he's given us a heart that's responsive to God, that eagerly desires God, and that has the ability and the power to do what pleases God. That spirit's not a spirit of fear. It's not a spirit of shame or condemnation because none of those things exist in Christ Jesus. It's a spirit of love and of power. And that's who we have become in Christ Jesus. And, and Jesus is raised and he's seated at the place of prominence at the right hand of the Father where daily, hourly, he ceaselessly prays for our hearts that they would be continuously filled with the fruit of his spirit within us, 
that they would continuously be conformed to his image and likeness and by his word and his spirit sanctified and set apart to live no longer for ourselves but for him who died and was raised for us. And on the day of Pentecost, he sends that spirit to clothe us in righteousness but to clothe us in power. So that we take the love of God that he's poured out into our hearts and we don't hoard it. We're not supposed to keep the faith, people of God. We're supposed to give the faith away. And he clothes us in power to do just that, to be people of love. That give away the love of God. Wherever we are, whoever we're with. With a joyful reverence for the Father who loves us. For the Son who saves us. And for the Spirit who sanctifies us. That is what Jesus has done. That's who we are. We are a people with a new and a beautiful and a responsive heart for the Lord. Now, as we move from Epiphany into Lent, I want to ask you to join me. I want to ask you to join me in not just give it something up, give up whatever you want for Lent, okay? But I want to invite you to take something on with me. Will you ask the Holy Spirit, by God's grace, to help you take on a heart of worship, a heart filled with joy and reverence for the Lord, no matter what circumstance you're going through, no matter who you're with, no matter what's going on, that we wouldn't be ashamed. But that we would, we would have a heart filled with faith. A heart filled with joy and awe and wonder at the beauty and the love and the promises of God that are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Would you, would you take that on with me for Lent? I think this is a really important season for us as followers of Jesus with grace. I, the Lord wants to grow us up in this way. He wants to mature us in this way. As a people who, he has, who has, he has brought to himself, as a people who he has brought here together, that this season of Lent would be about humbly and yet joyfully and reverently becoming more of the type of worshipers that the Father desires, those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And what I'd like to do is I'd like just to invite us to, to contemplate a few very practical ways that we might do that together throughout the season of Lent. And the key is this, the key is that we were made to live for an audience of one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three and one. And what that means is that the point of worship is not how others feel about us, the point of worship's not how it makes us feel about ourselves. The point of worship is, how does God feel about it? And what it does is it exposes a common misconception that it's the upfront people who are the performers in worship, and the congregation is the audience. And so we take on the mindset that, you know, we, we come to uh, our times of personal devotion, or we come to our life groups, or we come to worship on Sundays together. We come thinking, all right, God, entertain me. Bless me. Give me a, a great song and an inspiring sermon. 
And what that is, is it's the attitude of our entertainment-driven culture. It's a false narrative that we've bought into. Yes, God wants to bless you. Yes, God wants to inspire you. Yes, God wants to build you up. But it's not about you. It's about him. And yet when we, when we buy into the, the cultural narrative, we buy into a lie that it's all about us. And as a result, what happens all across the city is that there are sanctuaries filled with pew potatoes. And we say, you know, this room doesn't really look like the church. But God says, hey, I thought you came here to worship me. What does it matter what the room looks like? Or we say, I do not like this song. And God says, well, I thought you were singing to me. What does it matter what the words are? Sing to me. Or we come thinking, God, what am I going to get out of it today? Man, I hope, I hope Matt, I hope Brian, I hope Andrew's on today. What am I going to get? God, here I am. Pay attention to me. Focus on me. Enhance me. Glorify me. And the logical conclusion of that is, God, worship me. That's not the Father's desire, nor the Father's invitation, is it? His invitation to worship Him is with a heart filled with joy and reverence. The kind of worshipers the Father seeks are those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Do you see that? Triune worship. The type of worshiper the Father's desire desires of those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Who is the truth? Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit's primary role is to point people to Jesus, to elevate Jesus, to remind us everything that Jesus taught us. And so the type of worship that the Father delights is when we invite the Holy Spirit to come who elevates Jesus in our hearts and in our homes and in our life groups and in our worship on Sundays together. And that with joyful, reverent hearts, we give it all to Him, not ashamed of Him. And the Father smiles and delights and He says, that's what I'm looking for. What would it look like for us just to take one baby step in our maturity as the people of God together at grace to be the type of people that the Father desires, the type of worshipers that the Father desires? I think that's God's word for us for Lent. It's what delights him the most and satisfies us the most. Uh, there's an early 19th century Danish philosopher and theologian named Soren Kierkegaard, and he says that in corporate worship, when the people of God meet together, the people are the ones who are performing worship, all intricately participating in the story of God, the acts of God, but that God is the audience. Worship is not something done for us. It's who we are and what we do together for God. So how do we do that? Um, again, as, as, we, as we begin to leave Epiphany and we begin to go into the season of Lent, I want to give us about eight very practical ways 
that with the help of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, we can grow and mature as the type of worshipers the Father desires. We stand up. The first is really the posture of your heart. And I want to encourage us to begin preparing for worship before we even get in the car and come to this place or walk down the street to this place. The scriptures are in the weekly enus um, toward the middle or the end of every week. Begin to read the scriptures and ask God to teach you what it is that he wants you to know and to begin to move on you that you could be who he wants you to be. Prepare your hearts before you even come here and come on time. Come early. Come early, be loud, stay late. Come early with an expectation that God is going to be here and he's going to meet with you. You have a weekly appointment with the people of God and the presence of God. Don't be late for that. Come early and be prepared to give God all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you sing, sing your guts out. Don't hold back. Sing to the Lord. And when we come to that time of confession, don't just go through the words or listen to the song. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to bring to mind those things that you've thought or done or said that are not right. And imagine yourself putting those things at the feet of Jesus, watching him bleed for those and die for those because he did not hang on the cross in vain and that he has not only taken those away, he's removed them from you as far as the east is from the west. And let the confession and the declaration of forgiveness be a gospel moment for you. And listen to the word of God with eagerness. I'm asking God to plant the seed of the gospel on good soil and bear much fruit. And what is it that he wants to do for you? What word does he have for you or for us? Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to cling to? Is there an action to move forward in his love that week? And don't just listen for yourself. Ask God, Lord, help me understand how to put this gospel, this word into my own words and show me who needs to hear this this week. We're not just coming to be built up. We're coming to be equipped that we might be sent out to be ambassadors for the kingdom. And when you come forward to the table, remember that you're coming forward to recommit your life to the Lord Jesus. Every single week, the altar call is a 19th century American invention. The original altar call goes all the way back to the night before the Lord was handed over to suffering and death when he said, take the bread and take the wine and as you do, remember me. And so we get to recommit our lives to Jesus every single week through the bread and the wine around the table of Jesus together as his people. What is God doing in our hearts? How can God grow us with hearts that are joyful and reverent, that we might worship in spirit and in truth? What about our bodies? Because God didn't just make us spirits. He also gave us bodies. And we're not just going to be with these bodies all of our life. He's, he's going to give us resurrection bodies, right? So like bodies are important to God. How do we worship God with our bodies? David is like the greatest worship leader in the scriptures. And, and he helped the people of God worship God with joy and with reverence. And what he did is he wrote these songs to help them. And in most of his songs, there are 
body movements that go with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm about to stretch us. But I promise you, everything I'm about to teach you is biblical. Okay? Let me show you what I'm talking about. Speaking. Let's say Psalm 34 together. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And what that means is that when you hear the truth of God from the message, you can say, Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Come on, brother. Whatever you want to do. Use your lips in worship. You, you're, you have permission to do that. Not from me, from the scriptures. Like God loves that. He also loves it in the middle of a song or at the end of a song. We say, praise you, God. Try that. Just praise you, God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Like this is what God's people have been doing for centuries. Speaking is how we worship the Lord. Singing. Let's, let's read Psalm 47. Sing praises to God. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. You guys are doing that so well. Like, like when we, like we're growing as those who are just singing with all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength. It's a beautiful thing when we sing out to the Lord. Some of us need to work on being a little bit more free in our singing. But for the most part, we're doing really, really well. Singing to the Lord. Standing. Hey, good job. Y'all are worshiping right now. <laughs> let's, let's read Psalm 119. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws. Like one of the things that we do is when a person of honor walks into the room, we stand. In the South, when a woman that we love walks into the room, we stand. As the people of God acknowledging the presence of God, one of the most honoring things that we can do is stand and just honor that God is God and we are not. That he is the most prominent person in the universe. Standing is a beautiful act of worship. Bowing. Psalm 95. Let's say that. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Now the Chinese get this, right? And their culture, they understand bowing as an act of honor and reverence. Um, but the people of God were doing it long before the Asians, right? The people of God would simply fold their hands, and as an act of honor and reverence, they would bow before the Lord. Lord, I am not worthy to gather up even the crumbs under your table. Lord, I am not worthy to stand in your presence. And yet in Christ Jesus, the bow comes up, you have made me worthy to stand in your presence. You have opened the way that I can stand pure and blameless and unblemished in your sight. Bowing is a beautiful way to worship the Lord. You should try it. And try it today. You don't have to wait till Lent. Here's another one. Clapping. Clapping. Psalm 47. Let's say this. Clap your hands, all ye nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Now, I was just with a bunch of our African brothers and sisters um, last week. And like our, our African brothers and sisters, they get the clapping bit, okay? They, they get it. I don't know like what's going on with us. It's like somehow we feel like we're not supposed to clap, which is, which is crazy because we love to clap. We clap all the time. But you know what? God loves it when we clap as an act of worship. He's given us these hands to acknowledge how amazing and how wonderful and how awesome he is. 
And we can, we can do that at any time in worship. And guess what? You don't even have to be on beat. You just, you just clap and it delights the Lord. Okay, hang on. Here we go. Lifting hands, Psalm 63. Let's say that. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. Okay, just, just try that. Look, you're going to do this tonight anyway. When your team scores a touchdown, you're going to go, yes! Right? And so, and so why not to the Lord our God? who has come to live among us, who has died in our place for us, who has raised us up with him. I mean, yes! I mean, that is worthy of praise. That is like better than a touchdown. That is glorious. Y'all, you're free. Christ set you free to be free. Raise your hands and worship. Don't worry about what someone on your left or what someone on your right is thinking. Like, that delights the Lord. Praise him with your hands, with all of your might, soul, and strength. Now, here's the last one. No, it's not the last one. It's the second to the last one. Shouting. Psalm uh, 27. Let's say that. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. Stop, stop, stop right there. Do you hear that? At his tabernacle, in his presence, right, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. So when we shout to the Lord, it is a sacrifice to him, something that pleases him, enabling us to draw near to him and him to us. You know, we can shout. Like when, when our team scores, right, we high-five, we shout, woo! And that is permissible in the house of God, not only permissible, it's acceptable, and not only acceptable, the Father desires it. Right, like one of the, as an earthly father, one of the greatest things that I experience almost every evening is when I come home, I hear, Daddy! Right? Do I go, mmm, no, not in my house. We don't, we don't shout. And, and no, I mean, I delight in that. But here's the, here's the truth, right? There's brokenness in the room in this area. Because there are some of us who grew up in a congregation and we heard, shh. And what we learned was that it's not acceptable or pleasing to God to make noise in his presence. And in the name of Jesus, you are healed and set free from that this morning. Your shouts, your shouts please the Lord. And he has given a spirit that within you enables you to cry out, to shout, Abba, Father! That's, that delights the Lord. Last one. I'm really going to mess with you now. <laughs> Psalm 149. Baby steps. Let's say it. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. Okay. So let's just, let's just practice. Let's take a small step forward here. Go ahead and raise your hands. Okay. And just, just begin praising the Lord. Praising the Lord. And now, and now you just move your feet a little bit. Just move your feet just a little bit like that. Okay, go with me. It's okay. There's no shame. Let's just go ahead and go for a little circle there. A little circle there. Right? Y'all, do, do, the Father just delights in that. And you know what? We will become even more undignified than this 
because of our hearts for the Lord, filled with joy and for reverence. That pleases the Lord. So as we move into um, this season of Lent, would you join me, please? Would you join me in just practicing biblical worship, not only with our hearts, but with our bodies as well. Amen? Amen. Amen.